Ezekiel 25, verses 1 through 7. Uh, we're going to read down through the passage. The Bible says, The word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Son of man, set thy face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. And say unto the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, or sorry, because thou sayest ah against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity, behold, therefore I will deliver thee to the men of the east for a possession, and they shall set their places in thee, and make their dwellings in thee, and they, they shall eat thy fruit, and they shall drink thy milk, and I will make Rabbah a stable for camels, and the Ammonites a couching place for flocks, and ye shall know that I am the Lord. For thus saith the Lord God, because thou hast clapped thine hands, and stamped thy feet, and rejoiced in thy heart with all thy despite against the land of Israel, behold, therefore, I will stretch out my hand upon thee, and will deliver thee for a spoil to the heathen. And I will cut thee off from the people, and I will cause thee to perish out of the countries. I will destroy thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Now, at the end of the passage, key phrase here, notice, God says through this prophecy, and thou shalt, what does he say? Know that what? I am who? The Lord. the Lord. He says, at the end of the day, guys, I'm still in charge. God's still in charge. The Lord says, you know what? At the end of the day, you're going to know. You're going to know who is in charge. The Lord God, Jehovah. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Ezekiel, uh, being a prophet of God, prophesying to the nation of Israel. And he dealt with the land of Israel when they were gone into captivity. And his prophesi prophecy, especially, especially in this passage, is directly against these people, the Ammonites. Does anybody know who the Ammonites were descendants of? A man with a three-letter name. Lot. Lot. They were the descendants of Lot through illegitimate means. If you recall, Lot left Abraham to go to a city called what? Sada. All right. Well, he, of course, just went to go check out some nice pasture land. But he wound up getting in Sodom. And you say, you know what? It's great, Lot. You were in Sodom. You were ministering in the wicked city. He was. He stood in the gate with the elders of the land. But let's turn back and I want to see something about this man, Lot, because some crazy things happened about him. Genesis 19. Um, uh, Genesis 19. And we don't read far in the Bible to find out about this man from whom the Ammonites descend. Lot. Now, Lot... If you recall, he was in the city. Two angels appeared to him, and they came into his house, and they were basically telling Lot, hey, get out of here with your family because God's going to destroy the city because of the sodomy in the land. Now, God is about ready to destroy this city, and he sends these men in, and in, Lot, in, in uh, Genesis 19, it says in verse 4, but before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round about, both young and old, all the men from every quarter. All the people from every quarter. You imagine this. Two visitors show up in town, 
and the entire town comes to Lot's house. Now, they didn't come to welcome the visitors. They came to pull them out into the streets. Now, notice what Lot does because it says in verse, uh, verse 5, they called to Lot saying, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, notice how he refers to them, brethren. They're, they're not his brethren. These are wicked men who do not love God. He says, do not so wickedly. And then look at what he says next. And as a father of daughters, I cannot even imagine this. Behold now, I have two what? Which have not known a man. Two virgins. He says, let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes, only unto these men do nothing. That makes no sense, right? A dad willing to do that with his daughters, willing to send his daughters out in the street with these wicked sodomite men. I mean, just vileness of this, okay? Now you understand why what happens later on in the passage, okay? Lot says, you say, well, daddy did a good job. He preserved his daughters and kept them virgins. That's awesome. But in this verse, he says, He's willing to let his daughters go out in the street. And he tells these men, you can do whatever you want with them. That is ridiculous and it is wicked. Now, verse 10 tells us that the men came to break down the door. Verse 9 says they came down to break down the door. And it says the angels, the men, put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the door of the house to them and shut the door. And it says they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. God protected Lot and his family, and his daughters that night. Now, a few verses transpire. Lot leaves the city, and as you recall, his wife turns into a pillar of salt because she looks back. Lot begs to go to another city. He says uh, he, went, he wanted to go to, to Zoar, and he went up out of Zoar. In verse, he went to a city of Zoar. He didn't like it after a while. Now, he, verse 30, Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in the cave, he and his two daughters. Now, this is where hermit living doesn't exactly work out, okay? Lot's been in a wicked environment. His kids have seen wicked things, and now he takes them and pulls them aside. He's protected them. He's done everything he can to protect his, his daughters, you would say. But now his daughters know that dad did two things. Dad got his daughters, and dad brought one other substance with him, because you notice what happens next. Verse 31, the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old. There is not a man in the earth to come in after us after the manner of man of the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, and we may preserve seed to our father. They made their father drink wine that night. The firstborn went in, lay with her father. Perceived not, he perceived not when she lay down or when she rose. And it came to pass on the morrow, the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay yesterday night with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in and lie with him, that we may preserve seed to our father. And they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when he arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son, and called his name, what? Moab. The same is the father of the Moabites unto this day. The younger... She also bare a son and called his name Benami, the same as the father of the children of. There you go. So we could build that passage out.
But by the way, Daddy tried to preserve his children, but he also tried to preserve his favorite substance, and uh, the children used it against him, sadly. Now, these children have been born of fornication, okay? And now you have a child born out of this who God in his mercy has given to, if you go to Ezekiel 25, the Ammonites, God gave them land. God gave them a special place to be. God gave his own children, the, the, the uh, children of Israel, he gave them land, but he also gave the children of Ammon land. So God has given them a place, and God has given them a place to worship uh, him, obviously, in the land of Israel, in the land of Judah. And so, to build out this passage, we understand God has given these people a place. But the cost of indifference and neglect, if you notice in the photo, it doesn't look like a stellar church building. It's been neglected. And God says to Ezekiel, set thy face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Why? Not because of the sins of their, uh, their mother when they were born. No, 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 no. God says, hey, set your face against them. Why? Because of their own personal sin. What's the sin? The sin of indifference and neglect. The prophets of God have, been given, have never been given easy missions, and part of the calling involves the unpopular message. And Ezekiel was indeed given an unpopular message. In, in the first verses, 1 through 7, he prophesies against the Ammonites. In the next portion of the passage, he prophesies, prophesies against the Moabites. The first two people groups he prophesies against are the children, the grandchildren of Lot, that were born through illegitimate means. Interesting, isn't it? So he prophesies against them, and in verse 3, there's a reason that he said this against them. He said, Say to the Ammonites, Hear the word of the Lord God, Thus saith the Lord God, Because thou saidst, Aha, against my sanctuary, when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel, when it was desolate, and against the house of Judah, when they went into captivity. They said, Aha, about God's sanctuary. They were expressing a cry of joy that the church house was empty, that God's house was empty. They were excited about it, and the Ammonites, these people, they looked over at the house of God, over in the land of Judah, the sanctuary, and they looked at where the people of God had worshipped, and the people of God were now in captivity, and they said, Aha! They were rejoicing that God's house was empty. Whoa. That's when God brought the judgment. God brought the judgment because they took rejoicing in the fact of their own absence from the house of God. You say, what could they have done? Brother, they could have gone back and rebuilt the place. They could have gone back and worshipped there. But instead, they neglected and they, they stayed away from the place. When you were born, uh, your mother brought you to church. When you were married, your wife brought you to church. When you die, your friends will bring you to church. And uh, the saying goes, why not try coming there on your own sometimes? Uh, and by the way, if you have a loved one you're trying to get into church, you can use that one on them this week, right? Hey, why not try coming your own, on your own sometime? Because when you die, somebody's going to bring you there, okay? Um, it's a great thing to be in the house of God. Let's look at several aspects of the house of God in this passage. The cost of indifference and neglect. What happened when this indifference was developed? This uh, attitude of, you know, ho-hum, I don't really care what happens. Uh, I don't really care. I'm not going to put my priorities here. The cost is demonstrated first in the condition of God's sanctuary. It says in verse 3, it was profaned and the land of Israel when it was desolate. God's house had been profaned. Things had been brought into God's house that should have never been brought into God's house. And by the way, 
It's what we're doing here in America to try to get people to come to church, right? If you're going to get people to come to church, what do you have to do? Entertain them. Entertain them. And uh, people go from one entertainment center to the next. Uh, the condition of God's sanctuary, it had been neglected so long that it was full of defiling things. Uh, one of my friends is pastoring a church, and they're looking to purchase a bigger building. And so this week they went uh, to go find a building, and they went into this building to go pray. And he posted pictures of the building, and this building has been neglected for a little while, and it's been turned into something different than a church house. And I saw the photo, and I said... That's a good sermon illustration right there, okay? The condition of God's sanctuary. Look at that right there. Now here, these people are, uh, this, is, this is his church family, and they're in this place, and they're praying to Lord willing be in this building one day to be able to worship God. But the auditorium has all the pews and chairs removed, any place to worship, okay? It ain't a worship center anymore. It's a rec center, brother. There's a pool table. Matter of fact, they got two pool tables right in the auditorium, Okay? There's a foosball table there. There's a foosball table on the platform. I mean, the place has been defiled. Thank God they're, they're hoping to be able to buy or uh, rent this place and be able to worship God in here, and they'll clean this place up. When you think of coming in to worship God, you don't think of having lounge chairs, okay? But they got lounge chairs in there, little mini platforms built up here and there, little booths, and it is quite a place, isn't it? It's turned into a gaming center, turned into more of a, and there's even a, a place, a stage there where they can do uh, shows or whatever. Uh, but it sure doesn't look like a worship, a house of worship. Now the resemblance is there, but the house of God in the picture has been defiled. It's been defiled. It's been used for some other purpose. You say there's nothing wrong with having a place to play games on the church property. I'm, I'm not saying that. It's, that's where the place where we used to sing the old hymns. That's the place where we used to worship God. That's the place where we used to hear the preaching. That is no place to come for preaching anymore, the way it is. You've got to clean it out. And it's sad to me where I've seen a couple of churches in our community have gone up for sale recently, and people have turned them into houses and other such things, art centers, uh, dance studios. And uh, look, they won't have any problem getting 40 or 50 people to come to a dance studio. Uh, to come watch their grandkids go dancing, but they sure will have, them, have trouble getting them come to worship a holy God. And look, God's house has been defiled. And we see that in our land. God's house has been defiled. And so we want God's house to be a holy place, uh, a place that's set apart. But the, uh, the Ammonites saw that God's house had become defiled, and they said, Aha! They rejoiced that God's house was empty. They were happy about it. And instead of praying, instead of uh, doing something to change it, instead they contributed to the effect by their condemnation. There was a museum in Greenfield Village of Detroit, Michigan. There's this huge uh, steam locomotive there. And th beside this piece of complicated machinery, there's a sign, and it shows the boiler pressure, the size and the number of wheels, the horsepower, and the length and weights of everything. And the bottom line, it indicates that 96% of the power generated by this locomotive is used to move the locomotive. And only 4% of its power was left to pull the load. Some churches are like that. Only 4% of the energy is pulling the load. The other 96 is doing its own thing. The condition of God's sanctuary had been defiled. It had been defiled. The captivity of God's people. Verse 3 says they went into captivity. Ezekiel 25, verse 3. Um, God says of his, his people, and the prophet 
Ezekiel speaks to the Ammonites and says, you said, he says, aha, against my sanctuary when it was profane and against the land of Israel when it was desolate and against the, cap the house of Judah when they went into captivity. The house of Judah was a group of people that were set apart. If you remember, they stayed with David. The rest of the nation was divided. And so this was the, the group of people that God especially was meeting with. It was a place where God's house was in Jerusalem. And God's people now had been exiled. They had been removed, yes, for their own sins. But the Ammonites said, aha, against God's house. The captivity of God's people. There was a structure that was built for an international exposition in the last century. The structure was called a monstrosity by the citizens of the city. And they demanded it to be torn down as soon as the exposition was over. Yet from the moment its architect first conceived it, he took great pride in it and loyally defended it from those who wished to destroy it. He knew it was destined for greatness. And today it is one of the architectural wonders of the world and stands as the primary landmark of Paris, France. The architect, of course, was Alexandre Gustave Eiffel. And his famous Eiffel Tower was built in 1889. In the same way, we are struck by Jesus' loyalty, uh, by Jesus' loyalty to another structure, the church, which he entrusted to it, an unlikely band of disciples whom he defended, he prayed for, and prepared to spread the gospel. And to the outsiders, it may seem like an uh, incapable blunder, but Jesus, the architect of the church, knows the structure is destined for greatness when he returns. Amen? He is the author and finisher of the faith. The captivity of God's people, they had been removed from God's house. They had been removed from the place of worship. And history is marked by war and captivity. And it will continue to be marked by these things until Christ returns. Until the battle of Armageddon when Jesus will win and will be victorious. And so what's the challenge for us today from this passage? We should never rejoice when devoted followers of Christ suffer. Uh, the land of Ammon looked over at the land of Judah, and they said, Aha! It's desolate. They were glad, they were happy that God's people were suffering, that God's people were in captivity. And look, it's easy to rock, to rock the boat and throw rocks at a church, but it is, not, uh, it is not something God blesses, and God promises destruction upon those who try it. The captivity of God's people. God's people were captive. But the nation of Israel has said, or the nation of Ammon has said, aha, against God's house. Third thing we see in the passage is the consequence of despising God's people. The consequence of despising. Look in verses 5 down through 6. God says to the nation of Ammon, this whole nation, by the way, he's sending Ezekiel to prophesy against them. He says, Ezekiel, this is what's going to happen. I will make Rabbah a, a stable for camels. And the Ammonites, a couching place for flocks, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Why does he say this? He says, because thou hast clapped with thy hands. And just the way somebody, they get so excited, they're like. He says, you've been so excited. You looked at the house of God. You saw it was empty. You saw Jerusalem and the whole land of Judah where all God's people used to meet and worship God. It was empty. And you said, awesome. God says, uh-uh, there's a consequence coming. And also, he did, they did something else. They stamped with their feet. He says they stomped around with their feet. You think about this. You men who go out in the woods and hunt. 
There's some animals that do this, okay? The deer that we go after. One of them I got on a trail cam just the other day. And he was saying, aha, okay? He lifted his leg and he stamped with his feet. And he did his business right there. He marked it. And that's exactly what it's talking about. God says, you take my house. And he says, you marked it. Put your mark there instead of God's mark. And he says, you stamped with your feet there. And he says, uh-uh, don't do that. He said, it's not a good idea. Uh, he says, there's going to be a consequence for this. He says, they, they clapped their hands, they stamped with their feet, and look at what the next thing that happened. They rejoiced in heart, and with all thy, look at the next word he says, despite against the land of Israel. Be careful about taking up a grudge against a church. God destroys those who do it. I have watched this happen in so many people's lives. God will literally destroy somebody if they despise God's house. The consequence of despising God's people. There was a man named Gregory Elder, and he grew up on the Atlantic coast here. He would spend hours on the beach building intricate sandcastles. But he describes how, as a young person, he would build these sandcastles in cities along the beach. And he would, he would do it for several days in a row, though he was accosted by a bunch of bullies who would smash and kick and knock down all his sandcastles. Finally, he tried an experiment. He placed cinder blocks, rocks, and chunks of concrete inside his creations. And, finally, and, he, and he built the sand kingdoms on top of the rocks. And many of the local tufts, they appeared again, but he disappeared. And suddenly, their feet met their match. And see, sometimes uh, people look at church that way. They see the church in grave peril, and they kick at it. And that's, God says, don't do that. Uh-uh. He says, don't do that. He says, because Jesus is the rock of the church. Don't kick at him. Don't kick at him. The consequence of despising God's people. He says, they clapped with their hands. They stamped with their feet. And they rejoiced in their heart. They were inwardly happy if God's house was empty. It made them feel happy. And it says you had despite. They had a grudge against the land of Israel. They had a grudge against God's people. By the way, it's not worth it to have a grudge against Israel. Because guess where? God's going to come back. He's not coming to the United States of America. He's coming to Israel. When he comes back and he descends on the holy mount there, he's going to come back to the land of Israel. So he says, don't take up a grudge against them. And, and the, the analogy and comparison for us today is don't take up a grudge against any of God's houses, okay? Because if it's God's house, don't take up a grudge against it. The consequence of despising God's people, Ammon was literally destroyed. The Ammonites were literally going to be destroyed because they had this grudge, this despite in their heart against the land of Israel and the house of God. God keeps accurate records. God remembers what they did. He says, you clapped with your hands. It was an inward joy. He says, you rejoiced in your heart. He says, bad deal. Don't do that. God also gives a full reward. He says in verse 7, I'll stretch out my hand upon thee. I will deliver thee, God says, for a spoil to the heathen. God says, I will cause thee to perish out of the countries. I will destroy thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. At the end of the day, God always wins. Amen? God always wins. God says, hey, don't try it. It doesn't work. You look back in history. Whenever a nation or a people group uh, or anyone has stood up against God's people, 
they always got leveled by God. God brings the bulldozer in. He's got a bigger, it doesn't matter how big our bulldozer is, God's got a bigger one. Okay? Uh, it doesn't matter how big our plans are, God's got a bigger plan. And, and the consequence of despising God's people, the sin of indifference and neglect. Uh, hey, there's a good reason. There's a good reason to, to do something different, to, to be in a, maybe, maybe serving in a, or even attending a different house of worship. There's a good reason to do it, to go there to serve God, to go there to serve God's people. But anything else is, is really a selfish move. So the consequence of despising God's people, the sin of indifference, the result that they had, these people of Ammon, is God was going to level them. God says, I'm going to destroy thee, and thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Look over, if you would, though, and see what God did to Moab. Verse 8, thus saith the Lord God, because Moab and Seir do say, do say, Behold, the house of Judah is like unto all the heathen. Now, the house of Judah had been acting like the heathen. But God says, don't speak that way of them. Therefore, behold, he says, I will open the side of Moab from the cities... From his cities which are in the frontiers, and from the glory of the country, Beshemosh and Baalmeon and Kuriathim, unto the men of the east with the Ammonites, and will give them in possession that the Ammonites may not be, what does he say? Remembered among the nations. And I will execute judgments upon Moab, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Now look, God says at the end of the day, he says, I just want everybody to know I'm God. And I want our community to know there's a God that lives, that's alive, amen, that works. Don't we, want God, don't we want the people in this community to know there is a God that is alive and well? I was driving by a plywood factory this week, and I was thinking about it, even last night thinking about it. Reading the book of James Stewart, how he would go into the factories and be a witness. thought, man, there's a couple hundred people that work right there. Telescope furniture over there. All these places, Amazon's about ready to bring a bunch, a couple hundred people probably to work here. What would happen if, by God's grace, we would enter into one of those places and ask for the privilege to address the workers, for the privilege to speak to them of Christ's love? If the morals in that place would change, the bosses would have a better day. But it would happen if reverence for God returned. Look, in all of our attempts, in all of our efforts in America to make things better, we have bigger church buildings, we have more programs in these churches, but still there's less people in America going to church. The programs, the activities did not fix the problem because we need to just return to respect God's house to respect God's people. And Ezekiel was challenging the people. Hey, by the way, in the day when he was challenging them, they didn't have all the programs and all the entertainment we have today. But the, these people had neglected the house of the Lord. Look in verse 12. Edom also got a judgment. Thus saith the Lord God, because that Edom hath dealt against the house of Judah by taking vengeance... And hath greatly offended and revenged himself upon them. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, I will stretch out my hand upon Edom. And I will cut off man and beast from it. And I will make it desolate from Teman. And they of Dedan shall fall by the sword. And I will lay my, what does he say? Vengeance upon Edom. 
by the hand of my people. Oh, who's he going to use now? Israel. And they shall do in Edom according to my anger and according to my fury. And they shall know my vengeance, saith the Lord. God says, I'm going to send my own people to go back and take, take back vengeance against Edom. Look at Philistia. Thus saith the Lord, because the Philistines have dealt by revenge and have taken vengeance with what kind of a heart? A despiteful heart to destroy it for the old hatred. Oh, <laughs> old grudges aren't, aren't a new thing. He says, for the old hatred. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out mine hand upon the Philistines and I will cut off the cherethims and destroy the remnant of the seacoast. And I will execute great vengeance upon them with furious rebukes. With, with What does God say? With furious rebukes. And they shall know that I am the Lord when I shall lay my, what does he say? Vengeance, vengeance upon them. Man, you read throughout the Bible, God wants his house to be the place that's exalted, revered, and worshipped. He wants it to be the place where we hold high regard. This is God's house. This is my church. This is the place where I get to worship God. This is, this is God's temple. I don't want to ever say, ah. That's why, you know what, as a pastor, I, when I look at other churches in the community, even if I don't agree doctrinally with them, I try to keep my mouth shut, okay? Why? Because God takes that stuff seriously. The consequence of despising God's people. And look, um, we ought to know our Bible so well that we can discern the evil and the good. And follow it. And flee the things that are not pleasing to God. And follow the things that are pleasing to God. God is jealous of his house. And he's jealous of those who love his house. And I challenge you this morning. Let's stay in love with God's house. Because it's not worth it to develop indifference to the holy place. Man, the Ammonites got wiped out. Why? Because they were indifferent against the house of God. They just said, you know what? We're happy it's empty. They rejoiced. And may God help us to never get to the place where we rejoice when the righteous are suffering. When we rejoice when God's people are not doing as well as they maybe were. But instead, let us be in the place where we say, you know what, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that does not happen. Amen. We do not want to be like the Ammonites. We want to be children of faith who follow Christ. And let's ask God to help us with that this morning. And this morning, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, you need to put your faith in him. He's the way, he's the truth, and he's the life. And look, to don't hold off any longer. Put your faith in Christ today. Come, let Jesus into your life. Let him be the king. Let him be in charge. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Let's let Jesus rule and let him reign this week in our hearts and our lives. Let's stand together for prayer this morning. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, let's take a moment to respond to the Lord, do business with God. As we have our fall event coming up, the family fun day this Saturday, let's ask God to help us that we might uh, be a support and a help towards this event, that we might uh, be, be part of the welcoming committee, be part of those who just say, you know what, uh, we're going to seek to edify and build up the people of faith and seek to win others to Christ. And we're going to make a, a visible effort to make that happen by the grace of God. Let's do all we can to follow Christ in a devoted, consecrated manner. And may it never be said of us that we were like the Ammonites or the Moabites, saying, aha, against the house of God. But instead, man, I love that place. God's there. 
I want God to be there. I'm going to bring God with me when I go. We want to invite his presence as we stand for prayer with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe just as God's speaking to us right in this moment, you would just take a moment to step out from where you're at and ask the Lord to help you that you might edify and build up the house of God. Would you maybe ask the Lord this morning, Lord, help me that I might do my part, that I might do my part to support and edify the work of God, that your work might go forward, that the kingdom of God might be built up. Father, you've seen our hearts this morning. Lord, you know everything on our hearts. And Father, I pray that you would cause and you would help in our community, that the people of our community, that those of us in this room, would have such a respect for your house that we would respect and know that you are the Lord and we would do things with the fear of God in mind, recognizing you take vengeance if we uh, don't do things your way. Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do in our hearts. We're asking you to keep working. In Christ's name we pray. Would you just take a moment right there to pray and ask the Lord, Lord, use me this week to be a witness. Lord, use me this week to invite somebody step out of my comfort zone. Would you ask the Lord to help you with that? Ask God to use you. Ask God to work. in our lives ask him Lord be glorified in my life this week would you ask him to do that in your life